Section number 18 of The Lion's Brood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lion's Brood by Duffield Osborne. Section 18. Pesuvius Calavius. The house of Pesuvius Calavius was well situated, near the center of town, accessible to the forum, and upon a street of considerable width. The porch of the ostium was supported by four columns delicately fluted and painted, the lower half in dull crimson, the upper in ochre. A porter, in costume much richer than those worn by most free Romans, lounged on a stool set upon the mosaic pavement, and roused himself lazily to shuffle down and inquire why the Rada had halted before his door. Ah, it was a lady, and he smirked with insolent meaning, who desired to see his master. He threw out his hands with a deprecatory gesture. The gods were, in truth, very friendly to Pesuvius Calavius, but then he was very old, a complaint which few could guard against. Oh, Mago had signaled to one of his horsemen, and the soldier's lash whistled and wound itself around the slave's neck. All the fellow's laziness and insolence vanished, and he fell upon the pavement, writhing and whimpering. Lash the hound till he does his office, said Mago, quietly, and the shorthand thong rose again. But before it descended a second time, the porter had rolled and scrambled to his feet and was rushing to open the door. He vanished with wonderful speed, and a moment later, there appeared a man somewhat above middle age, with a close-curling white beard, and clad in a robe so heavily embroidered with gold as to leave the ground color a matter of conjecture. With keen eyes that shifted nervously, he hurried down towards the Rada. Then, noting Mago, and that he was a Carthaginian of rank, he paused, uncertain and his salutation savored somewhat of over-respect. "'A lady,' he said, hesitatingly. "'A lady who desires to see me?' Marcia parted the curtains and leaned out, smiling. The newcomer stopped short and gasped in astonishment. Mago glanced sharply from one to the other, and his lip curled. He signed to his attendants, and, with an obeisance that had it in haughtiness rather than courtesy, he rode away. Glancing cautiously up and down the street, Calavius approached the Rada. And it is the Lady Marcia who is to honor my house, he began, in words that carried more welcome than did the tone. A dangerous journey in these days, and a dangerous destination. Surely you are welcome. And who was the young man who rode with you? Did he know anything of your name and birth? I trust you were cautious? Marcia laughed. Do not fear, father. Calavius frowned slightly at the venerable title, and shook out his robe that the odors might permeate the air. Do not fear, but that I was as cunning as your companions. I told him I was a Roman. Wherefore not? For the matter of that, he divined it. He is Mago, the brother of Hannibal. And he brought you here? cried Calavius, trembling now in good earnest. Surely it was done to ruin me, but whose plot? Whose plot? It is not necessary I should be your guest, said Marcia, with well-feigned indifference. Doubtless there are inns, but he guided me here because I asked for your house. Imagining that my father's friend would have a welcome for my father's daughter, Calavius instantly recovered his composure. Ah, dear lady, he began in a voice from which all the tremor had vanished. And do you dream for a moment that you should taste of other hospitality than mine? Will you not descend? Nay, I will help you. And let us enter quickly. These are indeed troublous days, and every door creaks with a warning. Troublous days, with each man's hand against his neighbor, plotting by necessity often rather than by preference. What, your attendants are hurt? Again his voice shook. A brawl? That is bad. But come within. 
It is there you shall tell me of it all. So speaking, he assisted Marcia to descend, and summoning his servants, gave the Rada and its guardians to their care. And he led the way into the house, carefully fastening the street door behind them, for the porter evidently had not halted in his flight short of the slave's apartments upstairs. Marcia followed, wondering at the magnificence of the decorations. She passed through passages lighted by hanging lamps of gold and silver and bronze, past rich walls with frescoes in black and yellow and red, panels and pictures such as Caius Fabius Pictor could never have dreamed when he ornamented the Temple of Safety, frescoes that so far surpassed the work of Demophilus and Gorgasus upon the wall of Ceres, as these had surpassed the art of Pictor himself. Then came courts surrounded by rows of fluted columns, set with fountains that threw light sprays of scented water over the flowers and garments of the passers. Then more passages, with paintings of even greater merit and delicacy of execution mingled here and there with scenes where the delicacy was of the execution alone, and that brought hot blushes to her cheek. Amid all were scattered, richly carved pedestals bearing beautiful statues done in marble or bronze, or great vases, black or terracotta, with intricately composed groups of figures in the opposite tint. It came like a veritable revelation to one who had known nothing but the crude art of the Etruscans and the cruder handicraft of her own people, tempered, as they were, by the taste of such Greek artists as fell so far short of their native ideals as to be willing to waste their skill upon barbarians. She had heard of the wealth and luxury of the Capuans, but it had never entered her mind to imagine that a luxury of Capua could demand so much, or that the wealth of Campania purchase pictures whose distance and proportions were true to life itself, and statues that seemed veritably to live and breathe. Her eyes were big with wonder and admiration. When her guide and host turned sharply to the right and ushered her into a small room that looked out through a row of slender pillars into a portico beyond, and thence into a garden that seemed a very forest of small rose trees, around the walls ran a shelf upon which were set a number of circular boxes, while laying upon the table were several bulky rolls of papyrus, in parchment wrappers stained yellow or purple. My library, said Calavius in a careless tone, but with a wave of his arm that showed his pride in its possession. Three hundred and eighty-nine works, the best, and some of the most excellent authors, poets, philosophers, historians, rhetoricians, all that is worth reading. No man in Capua had a better show of literature, unless, perhaps, be it Decius Magius, and his voice sank, as if the name had brought him back to a realization of circumstances. Here I can read without disturbance, and here we can talk without fear of interruption or listening ears. There are slaves always stationed at both ends of the portico, to ensure quiet. And you are the man who has dared turn Capua over to the enemies of Rome. Truly, I cannot understand. Marcia could not restrain the words, and Calavius flushed. Do not condemn me for timidity, he said quickly. These are dangerous seas for a man of mark to steer his craft upon. Carthaginians and other barbarians are not citizens of Capua. No refinement, no civilization. Much has happened to disturb me, to unsettle my nerves. Theseus Magius has been parading in the forum, defying our friends. And who with him but my own son, Perola, casting discredit on my plans, and danger on himself? It was with the utmost difficulty I could drag him away. And then, what does the Carthaginian do but fly into a rage and demand an audience of the Senate, with a view to punishing Decius. Nothing but my influence and that of the Virius and the Nine have persuaded him to forego his purpose for the time, and that only by pleading the joy of this day, and that it should be given to nothing save festivity and feasting. Truly, my mind misgives me. 
Still, they have sworn that no Carthaginian shall have any power over a Campanian. Was that not a noise at the portico? He rose, and, gliding out to the row of pillars, looked up and down. Marcia regarded him with contempt and pity. And yet, she said, it is for this terror and distrust that you have betrayed Rome. Were there none of our soldiers and citizens in the town? Do not speak of it, whispered Calavius, growing even paler. A most frightful misfortune. They were taken in arms, or at their business, what matters at which, and confined in the baths for safekeeping. And then, said Marcia, for he paused. And then some evil disposed persons turned on the vapor. They were killed? she cried. Not so loud, not so loud. For the love of all the gods, it was a mistake. A terrible mistake. Ah, guest friend of my father, said Marcia, sadly. I fear it is a mistake that Rome will exact a heavy price for. You say truly that it matters not how they were taken. But I swear it was no will of mine, he cried. And then, fearing lest he had committed himself too deeply, he went on. In fact, lady, they say too much. Who set this revolution at my door? Who say that I was the mover of all? Was it not by Vibius Verus who first suggested it? Was it not by Marius Blossius, the praetor, who led out the people to meet the Carthaginians? And see how my son is still with Rome. No, by Bacchus. There are many a thousand times more guilty, if it be guilt, and on whom the rods and axes must fall down first if there be justice under the gods. You can bear witness at Rome to that. There will be rods and axes enough for all, said Marcia, grimly, filled with horror and disgust for the deeds told of, and with contempt for this garrulous, timid plotter of treachery and murder. Then, suddenly, she noted a sinister glitter within his eye. At the same time, remembering her mission, she checked her words and went on. Rods and axes enough for all who are feeble as to not take the sovereignty of Italy when it lies within their grasp. W what is it that you say? he said eagerly, and the threat fled from his face. The sovereignty of Italy? Ah, that is a great prize. Who shall deny it to us? Are we not the second city? Have we not allies the strongest in the world? A general the greatest? And when all is over, who so fitting to rule as the first man of the first city? For Rome will be no more. Ah, I will deal with him gently, though. I will conciliate, unless I be opposed too obstinately. You shall tell them that. Are they meditating surrender? Do they not see that we must prevail? But his tone changed again to distrust. I have forgotten to ask, amid my anxiety about matters of state. Why have you come to Capua, a Roman, at such times? Marcia laughed, for she was ready for her part now, and this adversary, at least, she despised, perhaps too much, for he was a cunning man in his way, and when the matter demanded only chicanery against other cowards. Ah, my Pesuvius, a politician like you asked me that, she exclaimed gaily. Is it for a woman to remain a ship buffeted and rocking in the storm, a ship that must founder soon, if it be left to itself? Is that truth? he asked eagerly, but with a tinge of suspicion in his voice. Surely it is truth, and it is a truth that I, with many other women, have gone out to such cities where there are friends of our houses, cities friendly to the new powers, friends strong enough to give us shelter and protection. It is my happy fortune to have found a city and a friend the strongest of all. Calavius smiled complacently and stroked his beard. Yes, you have done well, he said slowly. I am not without interest with the Captain General of Carthage, and there may be yet greater things in store for me. I will go now and send female attendants to you, that you may seek the bath and your room, and you have such refreshment as you desire. I will talk with you again later. 
but tonight there is the banquet at the house of the Naini. Ah, it'll be the greatest feast that Kapua has seen, a banquet to Hannibal and the Carthaginian leaders. Farewell. He turned to go, but she rose quickly and laid her hand upon his robe. You've not heard all yet, she said, casting down her eyes and speaking in halting phrases. Do you truly believe that it is only a woman's fears that have brought me to Kapua? You have not questioned me closely. That is not worthy of your wisdom. It is hard for a woman to tell all things unless they be drawn from her. He stared with eyes full of wonder. What do you mean? he asked. Then, throwing her head to one side, she laughed, so that Sergius himself would have scarcely had known it from the laugh of the free-hearted, jesting Marcia of other days. Oh, my father, you, a Capuan, and a man learned in the ways of women. It is pitiful, this littleness of your knowledge. Come, tell me now, as to a pedagogue. What is that that leads a woman to all places, through all dangers? Surely, my child, it is love, said Calavius, vacantly. Then his face took on an expression, first of furrowed surprise, then of gratified vanity. An expression that brought the hot blush to Marcia's cheek, even while she struggled to restrain her contemptuous mirth. His manner changed at once to one of insinuating gallantry, which she hastened to check before he should commit himself. What is it? she went on again, glancing down, that he might not see and read her eyes. What is it that makes women love men? What, if not strength and courage? I am a Roman, my father. But Roman men are no longer fit mates for Roman women. Where but in the camp of Carthage shall I find one worthy of my beauty? It is there I seek my lover. Disappointment lowered on the face of Calavius. He had noted her beauty, long before she had referred to it, but now he noted it with a more distinct desire, and the words, my father, which she had used, though but a customary term of respect, grated the more harshly upon his ears. Still, controlling himself, he asked, and which man of our allies has the Lady Marcia chosen to bless with the love that is too high for a humble Italian? She looked the siren herself, and she answered, Surely my father would not learn the secret of his daughter, Calavius winced. Believe, only, that he who has been loved at a distance is noble and powerful. However, if so be that my lord would learn the truth, let him take her to this banquet. I have heard often that much liberty is allowed to the women of Capua. Why not, then? to the guest of the noblest of the Capuans. The mind of Calavius had been divided. With the first rebuff of his rising passion had come the impulse to avail himself of his power, and of the helpless position of his guest to gratify his spite or his pleasure as she might choose to make it. Then, at the suggestion that she loved and had come to seek a Carthaginian of rank, he thought of the disfavor, even peril, it might incur by such a course should an enemy or a slave learn the facts and expose him. And, finally, he fell into a cunning casting up to the influence where he might gain over the lover, whoever he was, to whom he should be instrumental in surrendering such perfect beauty. Again he winced at the thought. But then, what more likely that her silly, women's vanity had aspired to the Captain General himself, and he, Vesuvius Calavius, might soon be in the confidential go-between? What profit and influence might not be found in such a relation? So personal, so beneficent. After all, there were many beautiful women, even among his slaves, and what was the difference between woman and woman compared to the dreams of Italian sovereignty that hovered before his eyes? He knew well that no wife or daughter of a Capuan would be present at the banquet, only the most beautiful of the city's Hadairai. But what of that? This girl was a Roman, an enemy. The claims of hospitality between his people and hers would be shivered in the coming crash of arms. What mattered if it to gain a point? A great point. He wrenched to lose his personal obligations a few days sooner? 
Yes, Marcia should go to the banquet, and, if Hannibal desired her, then he, Pesuvius Calavius, would surrender her into his arms. He knit his brows and spoke. What you ask, my daughter, is truly difficult to compass, nor do I know that any woman or of what class will be present. Trust, however, that all my power shall be at your service to gain any wish of your heart. And you know I am not powerless. Only remember that it is your will that I am doing. I will send a servant who shall lead you to your chamber. Rest, prepare, and expect my return before the third hour. Farewell. Marcia did not detain him. She noticed the wealth of odors that his fluttering gown had left behind, and her contempt and disgust deepened. End of section 18